Hey gang, you're listening to the Let's Level Up podcast. I am your host, Rick Perez. I am at Let's Level Up on Twitter. Uh, you can follow our YouTube channel at letslevelup.net. That is Let's Level Up, D-O-T-N-E-T. And all of our content is available from that website as well. If you want to type that into your thingamajigger, web browser, whatever you like to call it. Um, we've been gone for a while. In fact, I just looked and October 2015 was the last time we had a podcast on this channel. And um, I don't really have a good reason why that is. <laughs> Other than um, for a long time, I was extremely busy uh, working over 50, 55 hours a week, going to school full time and trying to take care of my family. And then after the Mage Wars Mondays thing kind of went away after over 30 episodes of that, um, I just, I really didn't make the time uh, to produce Let's Level Up content on this medium. Um, well, it's the end of the year. We're about to start quarter four of 2018, and I'd really like to get back into that. And um, I have a very awesome guest with me today. Uh, we're going to kind of jumpstart the Let's Level Up podcast 2.0. Um, this would be episode 48, I believe, um, if you're keeping track of all the old content, which I'm sure you're not. Um, so we can maybe go ahead and call this episode one. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, this, con this podcast should be available on pretty much any uh, medium out there. So uh, feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, Spotify. If we're not on your favorite podcast site, drop me a line on Twitter at Let's Level Up and uh, I'll do my best to get us there. So Without further ado, I have the creator of 10,000 Goblins, which is going to be an awesome game. Uh, it, it already is an awesome game. What am I saying? Uh, <laughs> Michael Abrahamson. And I hope I got your last name right. Yeah, you did. Say hi, Mike. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> do you like Michael? Do you like Mike? What do, you, what do, you, uh, what do your friends no, call you? Mike typically is, uh, is what I, I, I go by unless it's, unless it's family. So uh, Mike's great. Do you ever get the three names from your mom? Yeah, uh, very rarely. Not anymore, at least. Not yeah. in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have. I don't remember the last time I got it, but everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say that. You get the three names. If I if I hear Ricardo Gabriel Perez, I know there's some there's some stuff going down, and I gotta run. Yep. Yeah. If I even if I get the if I hear the first two come out of my mom's mouth, I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> is, am, I, am I getting the third one? No. Okay. Can't be too bad. Yeah. Oh man. You know uh, I. We met uh, a couple years ago, or, or I guess a year ago, at Criticon, well, 2017, I guess, mm -hmm. um, over at our mutual friend Scott Talks Morris, which uh, longtime listeners of the show would remember him as the co-host, along with Aaron Brosman of Mage Wars Mondays, along with myself. Um, Scott has since moved on to bigger, better things. I believe he is... Uh, he was president of Passport Games, and now I think he's a director within um, GTS Distributing somewhere. I don't, yeah, I don't know, great. I don't know what the heck he's doing now. He's he's in everything uh, when it comes to this industry, and he's a a great guy to have uh, in your corner. Uh, at least my experience says that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, if it if it wasn't for him, uh, I would not be near as far along on on any of the projects that I've. Uh, I've been working on. Um, actually, I don't know if. Um, I'm, so next year, I should have my first game published, which is Guild, Guild Leader by AEG. And Scott played a huge role um, in helping get that uh, you know, where it needed to go. Um, you know, 
it's basically credited or uh, going to be credited as a either developer or um, assistant designer or or something because without all of his feedback, it never would have gotten to uh, to where it's at. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a very good person to have in your corner for sure. Yeah, and just I a mean, good guy. He is great. I, I don't want to. I spent so many years uh, telling everybody how awesome of a dude Scott Morris is. So I don't think we should have <laughs> another episode dedicated to him. Although I'm sure he would not mind uh, uh, the, the the praise. Uh, uh, when when I first met Michael, uh, Mike rather, I, I, I walked into Scott's house for Criticon. Um, it was day one. We had just drove in from San Angelo um, to Austin, and um, we got there late. It was ten ten thirty, I think, and um, there wasn't many people there. I remember I remember talks. I remember um, Andrew Hacker, the Munchkin Czar, and Michael were sitting around uh, Tox's coffee table, and Andrew was flipping over these cards and rolling dice, and every, there was a little crowd gathered around, and he was just going through these creatures one after another, and there was this buzz in the room, uh, and everybody that was there um, was was watching this game. So uh, myself and my one of my best friends in the world and business partner, uh, Carlos Sanchez, um, another one of the mothership founders, um, kind of gathered around and watched. And what we were watching was, was I think Andrew's last roll of 10,000 goblins or his last run, uh, in the iteration of that time. And man, when he cleared that dungeon, I remember there being just a scream in the room and everybody <laughs> just kind of arms raised. Um, and I, I think that's the first time I've ever seen a prototype um, which I don't know how long, how far along you were at that point. Do you Gosh, remember? When I showed it when I showed it there. It was on. Well, we'll talk. I'm, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the it, it leaving with and coming back to me, uh, leaving with the publisher and coming back to me. But it was where it pretty much stopped before it left um, and went home with a with a publisher after Gen Con. Um, it did not end up getting picked up, but I think I was on the third or fourth iteration i was at least a year into uh at least a year you maybe a year and a half into working on that at that point yeah it's it i mean it was it's remarkable because it's the first time i've ever seen a prototype um with that much bang behind it and i, and I just mean <laughs> the interaction um that room was electric even even after i don't know how long you guys were going uh i'm sure scott was hour 12 or hour 13 into the day of playing board games and man, he he just was praising. Andrew was was giggling and and dancing around, and it was just uh, it was just a really cool thing to see. Um, so for the uninitiated, can you tell us a bit about Ten Thousand Goblins? What what is the game? Sure. So um, I typically introduce it as a dice building pressure luck dungeon crawler. Um, the basic idea is that everybody at the table is a um, fledgling adventurer. You want to join the Adventurer's Guild, um, but the Adventurer's Guild goes, hold on, guys. Um, we've really only got room for one more right now, but uh, we do have this goblin problem. Tell you what, if you take care of these goblins for us, come back with proof that you did it, then we'll let one of you into the Adventurer's Guild, whoever gets back first, um, or whoever gets back with the most treasure, depending. So um, so that's kind of the premise behind it, is that you know, you're just starting out. And... Um, and then the the way the game is played out is um, over uh, you know a single deck that represents the goblins that you're fighting, uh, assortment of dice that you have to choose from to improve 
your character and then um, some items that you'll get through the game uh, and so forth. But um, overall, the the game is built with this idea of character customization first, where um, you're really customizing what you're doing by which dice you pick and how you choose to use them, um, as well as determining just how much can you press your luck to try and stay in the lead and get ahead of each other. Um, you kind of measure um, progression by who's higher level, but that's not really the only indicator because you can actually beat uh, the boss of a given dungeon floor, which is which is the goal. Um, you can beat the boss without having gotten all of the levels possible uh, in that dungeon, without gaining all the dice possible in that dungeon. Um, so it's also kind of a guessing game of, is somebody going to play it safe and uh, go ahead and gain that last level before they try to push for the boss? Or are they going to you know try to leap ahead and just take the boss and win it right there? Um, it's it's a lot of back and forth about you know what is everybody else at the table doing? And um, at this point, there's very limited, and this is actually one of the things that um, you know a lot of people that have played it uh, and I've talked about, is that there's not a lot of direct player interaction built into the game yet. There's a couple of goblins that you can leverage. You have to take damage to do it, but you can you can leverage those goblins to to affect other people at the table now, um, which actually wasn't a thing when you played last time. Um, but um, but uh, there's not a lot of direct player interaction, but there's a lot of interaction that happens just from people having to pay attention to what everybody else at the table is doing. Um, there's randomized turn order now, so you can't just predict what you want to do off of other players. You may end up being first in the next round and going, oh, crud, you know, you know, I've, now I've got to make this call and everybody else is going to uh, you know, play off of me instead of me being able to just play off of uh, what else happens. So um, That's awesome. A lot of variability built into it. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of um, variability there. And I think I remember telling you, um, it's, it's been a while, so forgive me, um, that with, with, with games like this, right, those, those, those dicey type games, you don't have a lot of player interaction and a lot of it is kind of sitting around and waiting for your turn to happen again. And then you roll, um, I know, I know I felt that way with shiny dice, um, another, another Morris adventure there. Um, but there's, there's really not much to do. And uh, 10,000 goblins was the first dicey game that I've played, um, where I really cared about what was happening on other people's turns. You know, um, I, I generally make it a rule not to grab my cell phone during play, um, unless I'm snapping a picture or whatever, um, for Instagram, um, or <laughs> whatever <laughs> stupid social media thing that's out there. Um, but it, it, I, I never had that inclination. I was so I was so drawn into the excitement of people on their turn making those runs, um, and I, I thought that was that was remarkable uh, for that style of game to bring me in, um, because I'm not typically a dicey guy. I don't I don't I don't particularly enjoy the randomness that much. I'd like to I like to outscale some people, and and ten thousand goblins really blurs that line for me, and it's a very for me again an enjoyable experience. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. And that that's a lot of what I've gotten back from people. Um, I had so many times that somebody will look at it and they'll go, you know, I'm not really into dice games, but this looks kind of, I'll give it a shot. And then walks away from the table going, man, this is different. Like, this isn't what I expected at all. And, you know, I want to try it again to build this way instead or do this. Um, and, you know, it's not everybody. Sure. You know, there have been 
several times that um, you know people have played it and then walked away going, eh, no, nah, it's not for me. Um, but it's it's made me happy to see a lot of people who typically don't go for the dice chucker style, um, you know, really kind of get into it and and uh, you know enjoy it in the way that you know I would hope that uh, you know people would enjoy it because I mean that's the whole point of making games, right? It's to to hopefully get to sit there and watch other people have a good time with it. No, for sure, right? If you, if you're, <laughs> I think you're doing it for any other reason, you're in the wrong line of work, <laughs> right? Um, or or at least the wrong hobby, anyway. Um, yeah. It, it, anyway, you, you guys get a chance. Um, I, I don't know if there's any footage on YouTube. I know we didn't record anything that day, but uh, how could somebody get more information about Ten Thousand Goblins, Mike? Sure. So um, I've got a Facebook page that I'm uh, trying to keep up that's uh it just search for Ten Thousand goblins um on facebook and it'll come up that way um follow there i try to post videos of you know the the whole progress of it and that's uh, you know another thing that i try to be real open with is what are we doing you know where is it gone where did it you know what's the iteration at now what have i changed what did i do differently um you know the last year had a, had a pretty wild swing of what the game was like and then kind of a snap back to um to its roots and then a little iteration off of there so um all of that i try to to post on um the facebook page so that people can kind of follow along and see the thought process and i'm very eager to get feedback from people too when i say hey this is something that we're doing and we're trying this route um you know getting that feedback from people that says oh yeah i like that or um you know what made me end up kind of doubling back back on myself was a lot of people going i like the thing you've built but I liked what it was before too. And they mm-hmm. kind of felt like two separate games. Um, you know, stuff like that is essential to get anywhere. So, uh, so anyway, the Facebook page is probably the best place to to follow along with it. Okay, great. And that's just uh, search 10,000 goblins. Um, that's G O B L I N S for the uninitiated, uh, fantasy, <laughs> fantasy monster types out there, uh, on Facebook. And you can find that page. Um, Mike, what else do you have? You mentioned Guild Leader, uh, which is which is being published by AEG. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have anything sorry. else in the that's pipe? Always, that's, that's one of the things that I'm real careful about saying is um, it's been signed. And I had a couple of people say, you know, this is further than you've gotten. Just be warned because, you know, so-and-so may have said, hey, I got a game signed and it didn't get published. So, um, oh, signed. boy. Hopefully, hopefully all signs point towards published um, next year, actually. Oh, that'd um, be great which is uh, really exciting. So Guild Leaders, um, another one that's out there, um, should be here next year. Um, I just started working with a good friend of mine named Jeff Dowd on a game called Uptime. We, uh, it was a game that was kind of brewing in my head for a while, and um, we went to Gen Con together, and I was in the hotel room waiting for him and a, another friend that was uh, rooming with us to get there and uh, hit a spark where I went, oh, I think I know how to do this, um, built out some paper cards, and then we kind of tried to play it. We bought we bought five mini Jenga towers from the Kroger next to our hotel to <laughs> prototype this game. Um, and it was, it was okay, but it, it wasn't very good um, when we actually tried it at Gen Con. Um, but he also lives in the Austin area, which is, which is where I'm at. And we were on the same flight back and we spent the entire flight back just bashing on this game. We actually, there was a guy sitting uh, next to me. I was in the middle. Jeff was at the, on the aisle. And then the guy to my right that was on the window seat actually worked for SpaceX. 
um, was just a you know wild kind of person to to be interacting with. And he's oh, that's great. Attention. And every once in a while, he would chime in. He'd be like, "Oh, I see what you're, but what if you did this instead?" And we're like, "Oh, that's a good idea." <laughs> and so, uh, so we were just kind of you know for two and a half hours on the way home uh slamming that together and it's a it's a game about um <laughs> server management which sounds awful um but the idea is that this um you know jenga like tower of blocks is your server um you are a bunch of interns that have been left in charge with for uh with the server for the weekend while everybody else is off at a retreat and the operating system pushes an update and when it does all of a sudden all sorts of vulnerabilities start showing up and you've got to keep <laughs> it alive long enough for people to get back from the retreat and so you're um you're trying to manage uh hacks that are attacking the server and that's how you lose blocks off of the server um you're trying to manage keeping your users and there's viruses that can cause you to lose users and you're also trying to keep your own research up to date um, and there's bugs that will cause your research to, for, you lose research cards, which are what you're using to try and defeat all of these threats that are uh, coming out at you. And as you go through the game, um, kind of unpredictably, there'll be updates that come out, system updates, where they're trying to patch the vulnerabilities, and they always fix one thing and make uh, everything else worse. So uh, it escalates as you go through. Um, but that's that's one that uh, we got some table time at at, uh, at Criticon, and it's one of those where... You know, you you have, I, we had two playthroughs that were just great. Like, it just went exactly the way we hoped it would. People really had the great experience. We had some notes of let's fix this, let's fix that. But overall, it was great. And then we got Scott to the table. And that they just had this really weird order of events happening or order of threats coming out. And so they went like seven turns with nothing even remotely threatening the actual tower of blocks sitting there. Huh. And and Scott sitting there going, you know, there's you've got this toy sitting in front of me, and you're not letting me play with it. Like I, I don't know, like that's not what I want. And uh, it led to us, you know, having to you know dramatically rethink it, which was frustrating for you know I've I've been doing this now for um, I guess two three years, um, where I've had you know prototypes in front of people that I really want to get their feedback on and see what they're doing, and I you know I have those games where things don't work the way I want. Um, but Jeff hadn't had that yet. And so we had that game with, with Scott and, you know, I, I hit my mental space. I need to be in to take the feedback and know that they're going to have a bad game and go through it. And I could just see him and I'm going, Oh man, just get through this one and you'll be okay. Like it's, it's going to hurt, but it'll be all right. Um, and it was, you know, we, we got through it, um, made some adjustments and we're still making adjustments on, it. I mean, it was a week old when we got it to Criticon. So um, so that one's out there and I've got, I've got a couple others that, um, are percolating, but I, I haven't got at a point yet that I'm, you know, ready to talk about them yet. Sure. No, that sounds awesome. Um, you know, you're describing the game and I'm thinking of one of my favorite movies, which is, um, not a super great movie. If you look at the, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the history of film, but, um, you know, if you make that thing, the Gibson, and you have everyone else be hackers. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is license the IP for uh, Hackers the Movie. And, uh, man, I'll buy a thousand copies. That is... Uh, I, I'll buy one. I'll buy that one. That is my too much. favorite movie. <clears throat> is it really? No, it is my wife's favorite movie. Uh, tell her I said to hack the planet. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie, man. I remember being a kid and seeing it when I was... Jeez. Uh, Would that movie come out in 95 or 6 or something like that? 4 maybe? Oh, I don't even remember. 
I was 10, I think, when the movie came out. And I, when I saw it, all I wanted to do was get a computer and learn how to hack. Like, that was <laughs> that was my dream. And um, my brother gave me a computer maybe shortly after that. And um, I, it kind of started my lifelong obsession with, with IT and computers and just information technology in general. And it just, um, man, I love it. I could go on and on about that movie, but I don't think anybody listening here cares my thoughts about <laughs> a, a not so great. Although I, I would argue uh, opposite uh, uh, movie from the early 90s. Angelina Jolie's first, I think, if I remember right. I think you're right, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah she was delightful in that, too. Anyway. So uh, what, what kind of challenges... Um, I want to I want to talk to you a bit about Ten Thousand Goblins, um, not necessarily about the game or the design process, but what. Because there's there are a lot of people who listen or used to listen to this show, um, and 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 want to hear from designers and about their design process and about that. But really, what I what I'd like to know is, um, you you pitched it at Gen Con. There was a publisher that took it home, and they told you for whatever reason it wasn't going to work at this time. Um, what does that do to you as a designer and, and how do you bounce back from that? Oh my gosh. I'm still learning the last part of that, but, um, but so just kind of, you know, go through that a little bit. You know, I, I took it there, um, was, it was the first person I talked to. I'd actually intended to pitch it to, to several different people. And the first person I talked to, um, after they played, it was like, yeah, I, you know, I think this is something that we'd be interested in looking at, but, you know, I need to take it back and, um, you know, let the team, you know, look it over and play it there and, and see how it goes. And I'm, you know, I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not even going to pitch it to anybody else. Cause why would I do that now that I've got somebody that says they're interested and, and there's part of me that regrets that. Um, but, uh, I, I said, okay, you know, that sounds great. I, you know, I kept the game for that week so I could finish my playtesting boxed it up uh and sent it back with them because it didn't even have a proper box at that point it was just um you know literally in a um uh, one of the double nice double cases for magic cards um <laughs> nice and so uh so i you know got a, a half decent box and sent it back with them um and then it was just you know waiting but while i was waiting uh i spent some time working on some other designs and you know got pretty excited and um actually there's um uh I, I hope this is okay to talk about there's a there's another um podcast that i listen to a lot for design which is ludology um uh, with jeff engelstein and and it varies who else is with him but um but they had had a live podcast show at gen con and so i went there and they had a q a session and I got up and mentioned, you know, hey, I've got a game. It's, you know, my first game that's leaving with a publisher. What do I, uh, what should I expect? Uh, you know, their first thing was don't get your hopes up. Um, they said, you <laughs> know, lots of games go home with publishers and then don't go anywhere. And, and honestly, that was some of the best feedback I could get. And they, you know, they talked uh, a little bit about it, you know, what to expect and so forth. But it, um, it really set me up because, you know, a few months later, I get this email back saying, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna take it, they're, uh, and a list of reasons why. And the feedback I got was 100% opposite of every other person who had ever played the game, and it floored me because um, I was sitting there going, how could they have had such a different experience than everybody else? I mean, things like um, 
they felt like they there wasn't much uniqueness in their character designs um oh that's that, crazy i know right um so uh you know and things like that that just i'm sitting there reading and going what just happened and um you know you mentioned um andrew being at criticon he's he's a really close friend now um and i i took it to him because he works in this all the time you know and i said what do i do with this feedback and he said don't let it eat at you that's you know you just look at it try to figure out why they would have had that and then go from there and i i had my theories on on what happened and and really it boiled down to i didn't do a very good job uh with the rules i think that my um quick play rules were not very good and the other problem was i i really think they must have just played the first dungeon in that iteration of the game the first dungeon was just a little uh easy i mean it was intentionally so it was in- intended to be a teaching right. uh, level for the game you know which which a uh, lot like, of games do i mean right um yeah. the problem is it still took like you know 20 30 minutes to play your your learning game um and if they hadn't played the second dungeon and maybe they did but if they if they didn't play anything past the first dungeon I could see where, uh, because you don't have as many dice yet and you don't have a lot of things, you could you could feel like it wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't a lot going on with it. So um, so I got that feedback. Uh, and then I didn't touch my game for about six months uh, of just kind of going, well, it's awful and maybe I shouldn't, <clears throat> you know, design games. Um, and then eventually kind of hit the next stage of that, which was, you know, no, maybe I just need to, take that feedback and do something with it. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, what I ended up doing with that is uh, practically designing an entirely new game, but using the, the same core dice mechanics that I had before, where you were cooperative instead of competitive. Um, you were, uh, there was a class-based system where you could get class cards to build your character with. Um, it was very, very different than what I'd had before, but you were still fighting hordes and hordes of goblins it kind of culminated in a boss fight that you were all working together on and i took that to um to pack south this last year um i guess i only sat on it for three months because i had to have time to build it for pack south but um but i took it to pack south this last year and um a lot of people played it and a lot of people liked it but the people who had played the first iteration came back and said i like this but I really liked what you had before right. and could this be two different games or something like that? And so, so then I left, you know, thinking about that and going, Oh my goodness, like, have I done something wrong in building this? And it was getting more complicated, which was, you know, the goal with uh, 10,000 goblins in the first place was to try and simplify the whole dungeon crawler um, experience into something that was still customizable, but, didn't require as many components as say like a big box Dungeons and Dragons uh, board game or, or um, um, descent or, or anything like that. Um, so, so then I started rethinking all of that. Um, and what actually got me to kind of rebound back the other direction was after a lot of back and forth, because they were an overseas publisher, I finally got them to ship me back the copy of the game that, uh, that I had sent with the publisher um, and when I got it back, I went, you know, I'm just going to play this. Like, I'm, I'm going to play it and see, you know, what all I've changed and, and if I'm going the right direction. And I played it. And after that first play, 
because yeah, it does have a single player mode after that first play i went there was something here like I, I beat myself up too much about this and so you know one of the things i would say is like if you ever hit that point where somebody has said they don't want it or it's you know you've hit that oh maybe it's not worth it you know sit on it for a while and then play that original prototype even if you've made a bunch of iterations since then keep that handy somewhere because that just really made me rethink and go okay if this is okay in this aspect um you know what do i need to do between where that was and where i ended up going to make that competitive game enjoyable or or more enjoyable than it already was and i still ended up taking a lot of the feedback that i'd gotten uh from that publisher to heart but in a completely different direction so that I wasn't just making an entirely new game. And the, the bonus of all of this is that uh, I effectively have the, co the cooperative expansion for the game when I'm ready to do that, uh, mostly built, and was able to dramatically improve the, uh, the competitive game so that when I took it to Criticon this year, um, I still got a little bit of that boy, I liked it when you were just um, constantly flipping cards over and, and fighting them. But I was able to fix a lot of the things like the speed around the table um, was an issue and, and stuff like that and improved the pressure luck by making you decide, you know, just call out how many goblins are you going to fight on your turn. Um, now, you you might end up with more than that, depending on what goblins are in the deck, um, as well as making that deck variable. So there were different... Um, there are different goblin types and you're only playing with five types out of 10 at a time. So each game ends up being variable in that respect as well, which also helps keep people from finding one build that they just, you know, always want to do and always win with because that may not be as viable against some of the different um, combinations that you can end up with. So, uh, so really, you know, it was, it was hard to, to bounce back from that. Um, it was hard to imagine getting any other games in front of a publisher. Um, but I will say that with, uh, with Guild Leader getting picked up, Guild Leader was what I had qualified as my first failure. I, I did not think it was going to go anywhere. Um, <laughs> and it was one of those random epiphany moments um, that led to it getting the last little step it needed. And, and then honestly, Scott seeing that and, um, you know, working with me to get it in front of the right people so that um, it could go somewhere. So, you know, even the things that you think are are failures can turn around and, and be, you know, in this case, it looks like it's going to end up being my first success, which is kind of wild. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, it, it, I, I think back to all the designers I've met uh, in my uh, geez, seven years, six years into this hobby, um, or really the industry rather, I've uh, been playing games all my life. So I was kind of born into the hobby. Um, I think my, my first design experience was, is, was wholly different than yours. Right. So I, I had uh, attended Gen Con 2014 and as a media person, and I had a little game I built, um, called whelps to worms. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about whelps, have I, Mike? Mm -mm, no. So, um, whelps is a, uh, is, is a, is a quasi four X, um, exploration game uh, where you play as a baby dragon and you hatch from your from your nest and you explore the the kingdom around you and there are different tiles um 
of different land types like grasslands and and forests and mountains and you can explore those tiles to find advancements on them like a farm or a set of ruins or um, maybe even a traveling merchant and then those things can have food so basically what you're trying to do is you eat food you get experience whenever you do that and you uh uh, also try to collect gold, right? Because every dragon wants the biggest hoard of gold to sleep on at the end of the night. And whoever has that at the end of X number of turns, uh, the standard game is nine, but you can play an epic game of like 13 turns. Uh, I think the intro game is seven turns. Um, um, you win, right? Whoever has the most gold at the end. The, the, the thing with the game is that every turn at the end, the, the kingdom is not going to just sit by and wait for these dragons to come and raise everything and eat all the livestock. <laughs> They're going to bring out a dragon slayer. And the dragon slayer is controlled by whoever was the active player that turn. Um, there's a slayers phase that happens after all the players take theirs. And then basically the board gets populated with more slayers, which... Towards the end of the game, they become basically another food source because as you get experience points, you can spend those points to level up, right? You go from Worm to Drake and then from Drake to, uh, excuse me, from Whelp to Drake and then from Drake to Worm. Uh, you can also get different skills that you can kind of tech your way in and every color dragon um, has its own skill tree that you can kind of level up into. Um, it was it was my first design project and it was probably much, much bigger than it needed to be, but... Um, we had Sam and Zeke play it uh, from Dice Tower at Wex Tessie's Tabletop, and they really had a lot of very positive things to say about it. Uh, I had Justin DeWitt check it out, who the guy from Fireside Games who's made Castle Panic. Um, he really liked it. Scott Morris loved it. Um, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to take this thing with me to Gen Con. And I had a couple meetings lined up, and I did the same thing you did. I met with a guy named Mike Friesen at Lamplight Games um, who have published Nautilus Industries and published a game called Space Junk and just gave him the pitch and um, ended up sending him a copy of the print and play. And um, the next week, um, after I got back from Gen Con, he said he wanted to sign it. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I said... Okay. But anyway, so um, so I did what I, I normally do. I, I talked to Tox, and he, he recommended this uh, idea of putting together this contract. I sent it back over to Mike at Lamplight. Um, he didn't have any problems with the with the amendments and whatnot. And uh, before I knew it, I had a game that was signed, scheduled to be published. And, and one of the things that they wanted to do uh, in it was uh, kickstart it. So I said, okay, um, there's a chance this game may not get made, right? Because anytime you go to Kickstarter... Um, you have you have an opportunity for failure. It's it's a great platform, um, but it is so incredibly saturated um, that it's hard for people to to back all the games they want to back. And there's a trend currently, and really for the last couple of years, where a lot of these publishers are acquiring these heavy duty IPs of things like uh, Terminator and RoboCop and uh, Evil Dead, and uh, I'm naming I'm naming a couple failed <laughs> ones there. Uh, but all these uh, Big Trouble Little China, you know, from Epic Games, um, all these awesome 80s nostalgia movies, these things that um, a core gaming tabletop audience grew up loving and idolizing. Um, and it's hard when you've got a, a game about dragons that's not an established IP. It's something brand new um, to stand out. Right. Uh, luckily, whenever we decided to kickstart it, we met our goal and we smashed through it. And we unlocked all of our stretch goals that we had planned for the game. 
And um, the last day of the project, uh, Mike makes a surprise announcement and says that um, that we're going to go ahead and um, do minis with this thing as well. Uh, we had planned to do dragon miniatures for the players, but all the Slayer stands are going to be cardboard stands. Um, and there are something like 18 unique Slayers in the game. Oh, goodness. Um, so we just so last minute we say, hey, we're going to do miniatures for everything. And at this point, and I, I'd like to make this clear to anybody who's listening because I've gotten some crap on on uh, you can already tell the story doesn't have a happy ending, at least right now. <laughs> um, I've gotten some crap on it. Um, I, I had this one I had this one day when I said, hey, I want to challenge myself to a design. I want to make the uh, design contest. I want to make the best game possible. Give me a mechanic and give me a theme, and and I'm gonna try to make a game in 24 hours. And the first response I got was, "How about a game about dragons where I can level up and you pay me or you grant you give me what I've already paid for?" Uh, oh, to me over Twitter, man. which I, I'm the designer of the game, right? I'm not the publisher of the game, and dude, that wrecked me. Um, it really, it really hurt. To, to 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 be focused on like that really something that was completely out of my control uh so long story short we made some uh mike had gotten this guy um uh, the same guy who did the um the miniatures for mice and mystics um to make some beautiful uh miniatures we've got all the dragon sculpts made these are actually physical sculpts now uh and in 18 unique slayer minis that just look absolutely incredible um, the problem with that is after the sculpts were made, we came back to the printer and said, hey, we're ready. Here you go. Um, and the, the quote they got back was astronomically higher than what they had anticipated. And by that point, there's a lot of sunk money into these molds. And um, now we don't have a way to print the game. Um, we can't afford the miniatures anymore. Um, there was a lot of discussions over the course of the Kickstarter saying, hey, here's where we're at. What do you guys think? And it was immediate. Uh, there's been a few uh, very loud voices of positivity over the last few years in this thing, um, last couple years rather. And there's been a lot of really, really negative uh, people calling Mike a fraud. And I mean, this is his third at this point successful Kickstarter, um, successful having an asterisk over there because we haven't yet delivered to backers. Um, but he's he's done this before, right? So I mean, it was it was an honest mistake and something that just kind of happens um, to somebody who is is making board games as a part of their hobby, right? He's publishing because he loved the hobby so much. Um, that wasn't his only source of income, right? He's also working a job where he's got to travel for months at a time and uh, can't really focus on the on the project that much. Uh, it, it was a nightmare, and it has been. Uh, we have just now got uh, to the point where Bang Wee is actually printing the game. Hopefully, as we speak, the game is being printed. Um, and we'll have, I think, just enough copies uh, to... to uh, I think there's a thousand copies printed, and we had, we had 900 backers or something like that. So we'll have 100 extra copies for uh, maybe a couple giveaways um, and uh, replacement parts if they're needed. Uh, but the game's not going to be in stores, uh, which sucks, you know? Yeah. I mean, that the whole point of this thing was to um, is to get my first baby out there, get my name established and then be able to leverage that with, uh, with any other projects I'm trying to do. Right. Which I have, um, which I have a bunch that I'm, I'm actively working on 
Um, but man, that one, that one took it out of me. And it was a while. I played Welps for the first time in a year and a half about a month ago uh, because I was so depressed. I look at the I look at the um, our, our official prototype box that I've got, and it just makes me sad when I look at it because here's this thing that I spent so many hours building, and um, it's such a it's such a big negative spot. Anytime I get an email and it's from a Kickstarter, I look and I'm like, oh man. Who's saying what now? And uh, man, it just sucks. You know, it sucks to be part of that, and it sucks to not have that control. So I would say this: um, you may have dodged a bullet there, right? Uh, and ten thousand goblins not getting picked up by those people. But any designers who are out there, um, it is incredibly hard to pass up somebody saying yes. Um, and I would say this. Just if you're going to send a game off to publish and you're not going to try to do any self-publishing, send it to multiple people and wait till you get multiple offers, um, depending on how long that is. Right. Um, don't just settle up for the first people that say yes, because uh, Welps is a great game. I think I'm biased. It's mine. Right. <laughs> I know Mike's <laughs> going to say the same thing about 10,000 goblins. It's a great game. And I would echo that. Um but but wait, you don't have to jump into bed with the first person that says yes. Um, and uh, that's a lesson I think I've learned. And nothing against the guys at Lamplight. I mean, they've busted their butts trying to make this thing happen. But there was an error. There was there was a there was a, a an economic error there, which could have been prevented. And unfortunately, it just it just didn't happen. If we had gotten a quote from the printers in the first place that said they could do this in writing. Um, Man, we could have we could have held them to that. But unfortunately, it was a verbal agreement and uh, one that we just don't have the uh, um, the wherewithal to try to dispute. So that was my first publishing experience, and that's, I mean, that's rough. Yeah, it was some some great highs, and uh, I've been on about a two year low. So I understand what you mean when you say you you, you didn't touch it, you put it on the shelf for a while. Uh, but I'm glad to hear you're back. Right, and, and you're and you're kicking ass with it. So, uh, ten thousand goblins is one of those games that I feel it's an inevitable. It, it will be picked up, <laughs> and um, uh, just just from the few times I, I saw it played in the in the I think I played two sessions um, at Criticon. Yeah, I think so. And um, I mean, Carlos talked about that game the whole way back. It was his favorite game the whole night, uh, the whole <laughs> trip, and uh, I think he still talks about it um, about something he really liked. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things that you have people, of course, nothing's going to be for everybody. Right. Uh, but, um, I think you're going to, it's going to catch a lot of people. It's, it's net is wide enough. Um, um, if you can get past the dice aspect of it and sit down and play it, you're, you're, I think you're going to like it. So, uh, follow them on Facebook. It's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great project and uh, one that I hope bears fruit soon for you. Well, thanks. And I hope that, uh, I hope that uh, Worms and Whelps or Whelps and Worms, which way yeah, is it? Whelps to Worms. Whelps to Worms. I hope yeah. that uh, that one makes its way out. And, it should. Uh, um, you'll see some success after that. Yeah, it definitely should. I know Steve and Mike both have, have told me um, that that we, we we had a spot in the printers. We were waiting on some things to get done. Um, and last I heard from our last update, which was, I believe, last week, uh, maybe maybe two weeks ago now that they were going to push it to the top of the queue um, because they've been waiting so long. So um, there's still a matter of making sure it gets shipped and distributed um, to all the backers that we have to worry about. 
Um, but we'll, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We have to have it printed before we get to worry about it going anywhere. So, um, I, you know, and I say we, I, I don't want to distance myself too much from Lamplight, but this is, this is their game, right? They published it. Um, even though in our contract, I made an exclusive thing saying that if it wasn't published by November of 2017, then I, I, all the rights revert to me. So, um, there is some options for the future. If Lamplight doesn't elect to do a second print run, um, that I could shop this thing around and do Welps to Worms second edition, uh, because there's some, even some things I'd like to streamline in the, in the build now, uh, from the last time I played it, but. Uh, who knows? It may be it may be out there again in the future, uh, but right now it looks like the only way you're going to get to play it is if you're one of the backers. So, um, yeah, it's just a, this 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 whole industry is weird, man. It can, <laughs> it, you it, know, you, that's one of my worst fears. What you were just talking about, there are things that you you'd like to streamline and and fix to think about a second printing. Is you know, now that um, you know, guild guild leader is going through the development process. Man, that is one of my worst fears. And you know, as I'm doing play tests, um, I've got to stop playing, and is what it boils down to. I cannot play in a play test anymore because I already know the game. I know ways to optimize um, how to play with the different leaders. And so, if I'm playing with you know a given leader, I'll walk away from that game. I don't I don't win every one, um, but you know, if I'm playing with brand new players and I don't take a step back and um, you know, try to try to play like I'm a new player. I'll walk away from it, going, "Oh my gosh, you know, this must be a balance. I must have made a mistake." And now it's already in development. And then I'll play it again with, um, you know, another group uh, using the same kind of strategies, and go, "Oh no, okay, that was a fluke." And only because other people were were making mistakes or or were not doing things um, because they they had only played it, you know, that time or were just learning the game. So. Um, it's it's a real thing though. Every every time I'm playing in a play test, I've I've got notes going, you know, have I overlooked this? Is this a, a thing? And then I have to go back and go, oh no, no, it was, you know, I'm looking at the person who won, and I'm not paying enough attention to the people who didn't. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's that's one of the things that I'm learning um, at, in my fear of a dominant strategy to not just look at the winner, but also look at the other. Um, things around them that caused them to to win was it just them because if it was and it wasn't just skill then something's wrong but if it's if it's they played a better game then i need to calm down (laughs) yeah yeah um i'm curious how how many how many sessions of your games did you blind play test where you weren't involved at all you just shipped it off or let somebody take it and say hey here's the rule book go to town thanks Whew. Um, more now since the, um, you know, goblins coming back incident where I realized I'm terrible at writing rules, but, um, boy, I am as well. I, I've know, gone back and read the, like the first, um, uh, the first outer gods rule book I did. And then the first whelps rule book I did. And it's just, um, like I couldn't even I couldn't even read some of the words, you know, and it's typed. Like I just like this doesn't make sense to any to me. How is somebody else supposed to understand this? So, uh, get an editor is is what I'd say, uh, and have somebody who doesn't understand the game or has never played it read through it, and um, let them know what you think or what they think rather. 
Um, yeah, we did that at um, at Gen Con. We had a couple of uh, friends who hadn't played Goblins in its current iteration. They played it way, 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 way back um, when there were still poker chips. Uh, those weren't even a thing when you played it. But um, they they had played it way back when it was uh, needed a lot of streamlining. And so, you know, playing this new one was like playing an entirely new game to them. Um, and handed them the rule book I had, and I thought I I thought it was good. I was like, I put a lot of effort into this. This will be fine. And then walked away with pages and pages and pages of <laughs> notes um, to go back and try to to fix afterward. And it's also you know the hardest thing in the world for me to sit there and not say anything. Um, you know when they start to play a rule wrong or they use something in a way I didn't anticipate. Um, the biggest one, you know, there you you might remember there's um magic dart items that you can end up with and you can use them as kind of a once uh once use item right, to deal yeah. two magic damage to a goblin at least that's the way in my head it should work but the way the card read was um you can use this at any time to deal two magic damage and uh, sure enough on a different player's turn when they were running low on health another player goes oh i'm gonna go ahead and use this to do two damage to you and finish you off and i'm sitting you know over there just like grabbing my head going oh my god that's not at all what that's supposed <laughs> to be able to do. um and then of course you know they see my reaction they look over and they're like is that okay and i'm like i'm not gonna say anything at all um and then after you know, I've got a big had a big note after that playtest going. Okay, I need to be more specific. Um, so, yeah. are you are you going to put more take that or what type of you mentioned player interaction being something that you're focusing on right now? Are you are you planning on doing more? Um, so, you know, man, more that's of that been style? that's been the debate for since this game started um, because it is a competitive game and because it's competitive people uh, tend to migrate towards the idea of it having that kind of take back, take that Munchkin-esque approach to it. Um, and I fought that tooth and nail for many, many years working on this, or the first couple of years working on this. And in the last, say, six months or so, when I was working on this final iteration, I started to play around with it a little bit and say, okay, I don't really want to have items that just directly deal damage to somebody else or that directly, like, summon an extra goblin or things like that. I, I don't want to do that, but I do like the idea of having things that can mess with people at some sort of cost um, or in a, in a unique way. And so, you know, for example, there's a goblin now um, and, you know, again, he's, I'm testing him to see how he, how he plays out, but uh, called goblin cleaver in the first dungeon set um, most of the goblins in the first dungeon deal uh, no more than two damage to you unless there is a gimmick to get rid of them. Um, and we'll have, um, you know, one or two health, uh, again, unless there's a gimmick to get rid of them. Uh, Goblin Cleaver does three damage and has one defense, but he says whenever he does damage to you, deal one damage to any other uh, player. And so it's playing around with this idea of, Three damage is a lot when, I mean, fully leveled up in the first dungeon, you're going to have 10 health and you start with six. So not a lot of, uh, of health to, to, you know, work with. But if you have health potions or you have other things to give you health back or you have defense uh, dice that you've picked up, I could see it being very tempting 
to say, yeah, I'm going to take a couple of hits from him so that I can finish off somebody else so that they lose their progress. And, you know, it, it's going to hurt me, but at least I'm keeping them from winning. Um, you know, again, that idea of doing something just to prevent somebody else from winning versus doing something to advance your chances of winning that just happens to slow somebody down a little bit. That's where I start to get a little um, picky about what I really want to do with that. But, um, but I am, I'm experimenting with it right now to see, see how it works and, and see if there's other you know, kind of different or interesting ways that I could integrate um, a little bit of take that into the game. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you um, that to to me the the not not only is building your character one of the really satisfying points of the game, um, but there's a lot of flavor in those dungeon decks, right? Um, I think you had three at the time whenever I, I looked at it, mm-hmm. and um, there's so much theme there. Uh, between the different monster types that come in there and the different, you know, the different uh, overall strategies that the dungeon's going to play against you. Um, the thought of introducing take that into it, at least a form of direct take that, um, would almost cheapen that experience a little bit because there's certainly, there's, there's some of those dungeons that are, are almost impossible to get through unless you've built the right way. Yeah, and that's exactly the thing that I'm, you know, having to balance against and, and figure out, you know, yeah. is it, is it still playable or not? Um, I, I will say one of the things that has made that a little bit easier to work with is having introduced the variability on, you know, basically there's right now 10 goblins for each dungeon type and you pick five of them. Um, you could just say, we're never going to play with the take that goblin, you know? Right. Um, and just even, even pull them out of the randomizers if you don't even want to worry about them being in the randomizer deck. So you um, kind of like dominion. If you just don't want to play with the thief or, or whatever. Um, so, I've kind of leaned towards one being there or two being there and giving the option. Maybe that's not so bad. Um, but I just don't want it as a core mechanic for sure. No, I agree. Um, it, it just seems very dangerous if you have to worry about going through these really difficult dungeons and some of those, some of those later decks and have to worry about people um, messing with you every chance they can get. It, it's, I don't know how fun that would be for me, just having that extra fear there. But um, I mean, again, my my argument with any time you're dealing with a dice game like that um, is that there that there's there's not enough player interaction. Which again, I didn't feel when I played 10k goblins. Um, it, I just I just shorthanded your game for you. I'm sorry. You know, if you actually if you search at 10k goblins, that's another way to find it on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like I, I, I meant do it, to do it. I do it all the time where I, when I'm talking to people who know the game. Um it's just it's just an easy acronym or an easy way to shorten it. For sure. All right, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um sure. we're, we're we're just about at an hour here and uh, I try to keep all these podcasts of these range, but there are a couple of the things I wanted to talk you pick your brain about. So, I think it's only fair if you got the time that um you know, our first episode back runs a little longer. Uh, because we've got three years of podcasts to make up for. <laughs> I'm good if you are. All right, perfect, man. I, I could talk about games all night, so uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, tell me a little bit about um, some of the early games that you like to play. Oh, gosh. Um, so I probably played more um, video games growing up than I did board games. Um, and a lot of, in fact, when I started um when I started college, I was moving uh, towards the goals of being a, a game designer or working in the game industry in one form or another. 
Um, so a lot of my early influence came from, you know, uh, Nintendo games, Atari games. My dad worked at um, Radio Shack and we had a TRS-80 basically when they came out. So, um, you know, I was I was tiny at the time, but we having those uh, you know early Coco games that were coming out and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I can't remember not having video games in the house in some form. And, you know, it's kind of weird to say that and, you know, mentioned that we, we grew up really poor, um, <laughs> but, but we had relatives that would, you know, for Christmas or whatever, they'd get us a game or they'd get us, you know, they knew we wanted the game system. And so they'd get it because they knew me and my brothers could, could share that. Um, yeah, that's but, crazy. Uh, my, oh, you right. know, my mom was a, a single parent and um, she had nine kids uh, but really there was about, f- there was about five of us in the house. The rest of them were all old enough and moved out by the time I came around. Um, I really could remember being around anyway. Um, those, those first years are kind of a blur. Um, <laughs> but growing up in a little town outside of a little town, there's not a whole lot to do. She worked three jobs at one point and, um, we didn't have a whole lot, but man, I, I, I wouldn't, I would. I'd be doing her a great disservice to say that uh, she didn't bust her ass to make sure that we had um, all the cool Super Nintendo games that we wanted, right? I mean, <laughs> those things were expensive. I mean, there were $50, $60 games at that time, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a whole lot of money back then. Yeah, and that's, you know, I didn't grow up with that many siblings, um, but I had uh, two younger brothers. I was the oldest of four, two, two younger brothers and a, and a baby sister. How old are you, Mike? Four. I am 35. 30, okay, so you, you got a year on me, so. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, my, my parents actually, when they, they divorced when I was nine, and that's when I really started to get into games and, you know, make of that what you will, escapism, whatever. But, um, but that's when I know that, you know, I really started to get into video games. It was shortly after that that I discovered Dungeons & Dragons, which became a hobby by the time, um, you know, I, I was in fourth grade running kind of mini games without the books, but with the concept there um, and kind of that's kind of the beginning of when I started creating my own games to make. And that that's really where most of my, um, you know, childhood was spent was making up these games that we could play or making up a game with my brothers to say, hey, what if we did this? Or, you know, I had a friend in um, seventh grade and I wish I could find the game we built. We made this kind of it was started as a chess type game, but it became this kind of um, warring game. And I was really into a game called Shining Force on the Sega at the time. I remember Shining Force. And I was so, so into that game. And so we created this you know board game that basically leveraged a lot of that. Um, but you tried to simplify things. And um, and so I spent a lot of my childhood just just playing and trying to make these, these games up. Um, I got into the... Um, early uh i guess i guess they're called silver age now um TS, tsr the dungeons and dragons games that came out on pc so like curse of the azure bonds and pool of radiance and stuff like that oh yeah um, I, I played a lot of that i played a lot of wing commander um and so uh so that was kind of you know the bulk of what i ended up doing and uh, you know a lot of games like chess any anything that had a high strategy component to it um, I always tended to to gravitate towards, but um, you know, it's kind of funny as I'm talking about it and I'm thinking 
back trying to go back and go, what all did I play? I remember always having the same feeling that I've got now of, I really like this, but how could I do this and make it simpler? Or how could I simplify this so that I could teach my brothers? Or how could I simplify this for somebody else? And I wonder if that's where, um, you know, kind of my, my eagerness to want to simplify stuff um, started out. Oh, you've got me in a whole like psychological mindset now. <laughs> you, you know what I really like what you just said was it wasn't that you were you were simplifying things for the sake of simplification. You're you're trying to simplify things so that you can bring other people in to something that you really enjoy. Would you say that's fair? That's exactly you know, honestly, it's exactly why I built Guild Leader. I built Guild Leader because I love Lords of Waterdeep. But I don't have an hour and a half or two hours to teach that to somebody right now, or at least I very rarely do. Um, and so Guild Leader was an attempt to take the concept of Lords of Waterdeep, where you're a guild leader and you're hiring uh, or hiring adventurers, recruiting adventurers and sending them on stuff and gathering things and trying to have the most points at the end of the game into something that was smaller that I could teach in minutes and that would still give that same kind of feel and experience when you were all, all said and done. So yeah, I mean, the whole idea is how can I, how can I make this something that other people can play quicker and get into the game quicker, um, but still give that kind of feeling that you get from, um, from the games that I'm you know playing that I, I liked in the first place that got me there. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I, I, I do the same thing personally. There's, there are fewer things that I enjoy more um, then, then, then finding a, a hobby that I'm passionate about and then, uh, being able to introduce that to somebody and then feel a 10th of the way that I do about it. Cause I'm, I'm a pretty <laughs> extreme person when it comes to those things. Um, uh, you may have seen that if you've ever watched any of our YouTube videos, but I, I really have a lot of passion for this and, uh, man, the, I, I, one of my favorite things ever is, you know, to get a, to get a DM or somebody hit me up on Twitter or Facebook or something just says, Hey, thank you so much about the game that you were talking about. And man, we love it. And this and this happened on the time we played it. And, uh, that to me is, is, is worth its weight in gold. Um, uh, I, I used to do a lot of volunteering at uh, local game shops in San Angelo and just introduce different games to kids, uh, because they're so appreciative, at least in this, um, in, in, in San Angelo, which is, there's not a whole lot of that going on, um, that, that Avenue. And it's, it's just, it's just cool. So it, it, whenever you said that, I was like, Oh, Hey, I know what he's talking about. I like that. <laughs> um, how do you do it? How do you, how do you spend time? Uh, cause I mean, designing's not your full-time job, right? No, <laughs> no. Right. So, and you've uh, got, you've got the kiddos. Mm-hmm. And and the wife, uh, mm-hmm. who who loves great movies. <laughs> How do you find the time to balance trying to, to trying to follow your dream to become a designer, being a father, a husband, and also trying to put food on the table? Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, honestly, it's um, it, it happens in bursts where all of a sudden, um, you know, I'll. You get that think rush. Yeah. Well, I'll think I'll be thinking about a project for a month or, or more. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, that's what I need to do. I've got it figured out. And then it's, you know, two or three or four, you know, basically almost, you know, 20 hour days where I'm still working my normal stuff and then still spending some time with the kids in the afternoon and then immediately spending the rest of the evening trying to get that next iteration out. 
Um, and it, you know, you're not wrong. It's, it's difficult to, to try and balance all of it. Um, I have a job that does require me to travel uh, a lot. And so um, I have found uh, airplanes to be a fantastic uh, yeah. creative device um, to, to be stuck on uh, in a seat for two to three hours, um, sometimes multiple times a day. Uh, it gives you a lot of time to sit there and, um, you know, kind of ruminate on things, especially if they don't have Wi-Fi, so you can't do your normal work anyway. Um, so uh, a lot of, in fact, all uh, all three games that are in active testing right now, Guild Leader, 10,000 Goblins, and Uptime, were all um, kind of airplane thoughts where I scribbled down some notes and then landed and then ended up, you know, developing something off of the notes on an airplane. So, um, you know, honestly, I have my job to thank for giving me those, uh, those times to think about this stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I, 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 um, before I had the job that I have now, um, I, I used to work, I don't know how many hours a week, but there was, there was years, um, that I was just out on the road and, um, Welps was a, as a product of that, that same kind of thing. Um, it just, it just, you know, it losing that job was, was very tough, uh, financially, uh, mm. because, you know, I'd been there for so long. I was able to make a, a really good career, um, out of that, at least for the area. Um, but it wasn't until I got this new job now where I realized, dang, you know, I'm not required to work any overtime. Uh, I'm doing this thing a hundred percent remote from my house. I've got a lot of time now. Um, that I could start doing things, which is one of the reasons I I really wanted to get back into doing this show, uh, is because now I have, I don't have to feel bad about, um, you know, doing what I love and uh, having to make that choice. Like, gosh, do I stay up super late and try to crank out this video, um, or man, is it possible for me to do this and maybe not read the bedtime story to my kiddo that wants to be read, you know? So a lot of decisions I was having to make, which almost always families first, right? I can't, I can only think of a handful of times I've, I was selfish enough to say, you know what, this is daddy's night. I got to do this right here. Uh, you know, cause it's just not fair to them. Um, but it's, it's nice, I guess is what I'm trying to say is to be able to have the free time. So for those of you listening, you can expect more episodes to come. And one thing I'm going to do, which I've always been really terrible at, is regular content. So um, uh, this, uh, I believe we're going to be start doing uh, podcasts every Friday. Um, and we'll record them sometime before the Friday and then release them every Friday. So that way every Friday there's something to listen to over the weekend for you. Um, or during the next week while you're working. So um what are what's a what's a theme you like, Mike, in in either board games or video games or culture um, that you wish you had more of in the in the tabletop industry? Man, I feel like I'm playing a card too early. But um, oh, is there so, something you got coming? Uh, something I'm working on um, because I feel like the so there's a lot of movies with the whole. Um, you know, Kaiju or Mech versus Kaiju or stuff like that that, that uh-huh. are out there. And, you know, Pacific Rim is the one that, you know, just kind of reignited my love for those kind of movies. And I, I know a lot of people are like, that was a terrible movie. Um, I am not one of those people. I'm like, that is that is one of my go-to <laughs> movies when I'm like, I just want to watch something fun. I'm going to put that in. Um, but, um, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's stuff out there. And there's, you know, I'm not going to say there's not 
games out there. You know, Mech Warrior is obviously the biggest one out there. It's not got the kaiju component, but it's got the mech component and and all that. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan of um, you know mechs and building those kind of things. I'm a big fan of monster movies and and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like all the stuff that out that's out there, or at least most of the stuff that's out there is so complicated. Um, and it gets back to what I was talking about earlier about trying to simplify something so that I can teach it to, you know, other people. Like I'm not going to be able to sit down with my, you know, dad who loves monster movies. Um, sorry, dad, if you end up hearing this, um, but I'm not going to be able to sit down with my dad who loves monster movies and, or, or, you know, loves mech movies and stuff like that. And then, you know, go through all the complexities of facing and terrain and everything else that would be involved in, in a game of battle tech or, or the like, um yeah I, I could and he could comprehend it and you know we'd eventually be able to to play it together but it's don't feel like either of us have the kind of time or um you know ability to, to really do that so i feel like that's a, a market where kind of simpler games of that theme would be really cool to to see come out and there's there's one I'm I'm kind of working on. Um, hopefully, it'll be the fourth one that I actually have in in active playtesting that that goes along those lines. But uh, sweet man. But yeah, just trying to find out you know what what else is there besides you know science fiction and fantasy. I mean, obviously, Mech versus Kaiju falls in that kind of science fiction fantasy genre too. But um, you know, how do you get away from elves and orcs and how do you get away from you know spaceships or um you know even um even the 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 stuff like you know hackers or the matrix or, or anything that hits that um oh gosh the genre is just slipping my mind right now um the shadow run style feel to it cyberpunk thank you golly i was just reading an article today about cyberpunk games <laughs> and it just i couldn't even think of the word um so yeah so i, I feel like you know things that hit all that but um Maybe I just haven't played them, but I, I haven't seen a lot of the the you know kind of humanity versus the monster style stuff out there. Yeah, I really I really like that. Um, you know, the idea that um, you're outgunned, right? Even even though that you may be in this giant mech, uh, mm-hmm. there's something coming around the corner you may have never seen before. Uh, I, I really liked about Pacific Rim that idea that. Anything can come through this portal at any time. And yeah, we may have a category system, but what happens when something comes that is bigger than the, the, the biggest category that we have, right? What's, what's going to, what, what are we going to do then? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just that story of perseverance of, of the, of the world coming together and doing that. Um, which I think it, my, my argument about Pacific Rim, uh, is mainly with the sequel, I haven't even seen the sequel yet, so it hasn't been spoiled for me. <laughs> okay, I will. I won't. I won't say what I was about to say then. Um, <laughs> uh, let's just say I wasn't. I wasn't a big fan. And um, but if you're in it to see big things blow up, um, it's got plenty of that. Ah, uh, now I'm now I'm sad a little bit there. But... Yeah, well, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, I, I've watched um, since the last two months, since losing my last job, I think I've watched a horror movie a day. Um, and I, there, there's not many genres I like more than horror and comedy. Um, but every now and then it's really great to sit back with the kids and the popcorn. Like we watched Rampage. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Uh, that's, that's on our list. Oh, it's, so if you like Pacific Rim, I think Rampage is another one of those 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 kind of movies. Um Nice. Uh, just imagine Pacific Rim with the rocks one-liners. Uh, I'm already all in. Like this sounds <laughs> fantastic. Actually, and it's got know, Jeffrey Dean to... Morgan, and he's like the coolest guy in the world. I think. 
talking about that whole, you know, how do you balance things? That's what I haven't been able to do. Like movies have just absolutely become a thing and TV shows. I'm so far behind and, you know, missing pretty much the only ones that I've been able to find time for is most of the Marvel movies. And oh, yeah. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is the only one I haven't seen yet. But, um, but the, I mean, that's, it's kind of been like, all right, we're going to pick one series and that's, that's what we've got time for. So um, wh- one of the things that I'd like to see more is actually more superhero stuff. And I'm not talking about optioned um, IP type things, but that, that idea of, you know, like the Sentinels of the multiverse, where you take a very uh, lesser known IP and kind of build a world around that. Um, you know, Marvel's great and DC's great. Um, but a lot of those games um, aren't, aren't designed with superheroes in mind. So I'd, I'd love to see more uh, new superhero content, but I, I think I'm alone in that. Um, no, I don't, I don't think you are. You know, I was just, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about, um, one of the shows that my wife and I did manage to blitz lately um, was My Hero Academia. And I loved the take that it had on, you know, instead of them being so rare, it being everybody's a superhero, or almost everybody's a superhero. And yeah, you're um, weird it, if you're not, right? Exactly. And and so you're right, though. Part of the appeal of that show was the, the fact that there's just not much like it. Um, my wife and I still will tie. It was like, again, last week, I think we were talking about City of Heroes, which uh, I much, much miss. Um, oh, I love that game. Everybody did. I, it's, it's one of those. It's like, oh, man, you know, for that one to have uh, gone to the wayside. But um, but you're right. I mean, there's just not anything like it right now. You know, I mean, you could argue champions online, but I, I don't think so. It was it uh, was it was supposed to be like the, the next gen city of heroes. And it just it didn't do it didn't what city of heroes yeah. did so well. Uh, I mean, the character creation was like you, you had you had some nice uh, cosmetics, right? Um, and then they put everything behind the the free to play paywall, mm-hmm. uh, and it just just took every ounce of fun out of that game that there was there. Um, oh man, City Heroes was I, I spent I, <laughs> I I actually bought that game for I think three people just to try to get them to play with me. <laughs> I think I did the same thing. Uh, I loved it that much, and uh, I liked City of Villains okay too. I had a really awesome mastermind character that was zombie controller. Uh, his name was Doctor Dry Rot. So if you imagine like a he he's a human zombie, um, or at least undergoing the early stages of zombification. And the story that I wrote because I'm an RPG nerd is that he was able to stop it but also master it. And not only did he get stronger because of he's got the zombification powers, he doesn't feel a lot of pain and now he can control the dead uh, because he is kind of somewhere in between living and, and dying uh, kind of like a blade daywalker type thing. Um, but he looked like a surgeon. He had like the surgical gear on uh, and Dr. Dryrot, man, he was, I thought he was the coolest villain ever. Uh, and it was something that just came from my head one day. Nice. My uh, my favorite, uh, just not to get too far into this, but my favorite uh, City of Heroes character had to be a um, robot blaster that I ended up building. It was like Tech Tech was his skill set. Um, but I couldn't think of a name. And uh, my wife, again, is like, hey, why don't you name him like Mr. Roboto? And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I named him Domo Arigato. And they, <laughs> all the time... 
people would just call out when they needed, you know, they needed me to throw an ability or whatever. They just be like, "Domo," it's like, "Got it." But um, yeah, we we had a, a ton of fun doing that together. And and you're right. I mean, we haven't had an experience like that since. Um, even the role play games based around uh, superheroes, we ran um, Mutants and Masterminds Third Edition, which was the uh, in the DC uh, RPG skin. Um, we ran that and we had a blast with it, but, um, <laughs> I'm go back to a thing I keep reiterating on. It's so complicated <laughs> to build a character, right. yeah. um, simple to play, but very complicated to build a character. So, um, that's, a. am going to be thinking about this one now. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually working on something right now. Um, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but it's it's kind of a play on whelps, um, more cooperative though. So rather than everybody trying to um, uh, to win the game for themselves, there is a there is a villain or group of villains that are trying to destroy the city. So you've got to explore, save civilians, and uh, you get stronger as you go and do do things right. So there there's some quests and stuff. So I, I don't know. It's it's still very very early. Uh, but the theme I really enjoy, it's the idea of, of, of coming up with characters. I, I love world building. And I think that's probably because I spent so many years playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that should be a class, I think. Every every 6th and 7th grade student should, should have to take writing. some sort of RPG class and uh, learn a little bit about world building Um there's there's some there's some decent mechanics to learn in that idea too in that realm but i, I still have uh, in the back of my uh, my head and and partially written out actually a talk i want to do at a at a convention or something sometime about how uh being a dungeon master made me a better sales engineer because it's, <laughs> it's so true yeah i mean that's a great point i did i did a sales engineer gig at my my last job for two years and um, there, there are two things I think that would really that really helps anybody when they're presenting anything. Uh, one, being a GM, um, and I may be stealing your thunder here. Um, not only do you have to be very um, well known in the product, right in the world that you've built, uh, but you have to be able to deal with things on the fly because players can throw out crazy scenarios, and so can potential buyers. Right? Like, what mm -hmm. happens when this thing happens? Like, oh, okay. Well, here we go. Uh, the other thing I would say is essential is that any sales engineer or salesperson needs to spend weeks watching professional wrestling promos um, <laughs> because babyface promos and even heel promos sometimes are, uh, are an absolute art into pandering to an audience. <laughs> and whether you're trying to get a, re a negative reaction or a positive reaction, man, those guys have got it down. I'll add that to my uh, list of skills to, to freshen up on. To learn, yeah, the wrestling <laughs> promo. Uh, we actually designed one of the first games that Mothership had designed that we ended up scrapping um, was a uh, was a promo. Um, I forgot what the heck Carlos and I were calling it. Uh, it was like no no words barred or something like that. It was a play on words for no holds barred. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I don't know if you ever seen that movie with with Zeus and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Probably at some point. I think ninety. Um, <laughs> anyway, it uh, it's a, it's a game where you would get you get three cards or you get a handful of cards. Or there are three types of cards. There is a a, a famous personality, right, which was your gimmick. Uh, so imagine Christopher Walken. 
you could get interrupt cards that would change the condition of somebody and then you get a promo card which is basically your objective uh, and so you would build your character right depending on how many cards you wanted to play um, and then you would put your promo out and then you would pick somebody else and then they would build a character from their cards so you could have uh, Christopher Walken doing a promo battle on why chicken is better than beef and <laughs> you picked your side and your other opponent would pick their side and they'd have their own character uh, which could be um, gosh who's another who's another celebrity uh, The Rock let's say and they're The Rock uh, and they're on the beef side you're on the chicken side and then you do battle but then everybody else could play their interrupt cards and say, oh, no, 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 but here's a here's a steel chair interference, and now uh, you have to do this, uh, but you can't open your lips while you're doing the promo or whatever <laughs> the thing is, right? Whatever whatever they wanted to. It just um, – it was great for uh, our party game, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that we wanted to launch Mothership with, uh, uh, and we ended up coming around to Outer Gods, which we still hope, uh, you know, is we're going to end up trying to do Kickstarter again. Um, probably the beginning of next year. There's still some things we want to tighten up as far as art assets and that go. Uh, but when you're self-publishing, uh, money is a big factor there. Just to get the ads, I mean, it's it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's why I didn't want to go that direction, honestly, was that I couldn't uh, imagine trying to manage all the things that you've had to manage doing the... Uh, doing the self-publishing stuff you know, i have a lot of respect for it um because it's it's definitely something that i looked into and went i don't think i'm i'm made for that or, or built for that yeah and honestly if, if we had been honest with ourselves um uh, two years ago when we started this thing we weren't either um <laughs> but i I, th- I think now i'm in a place where again i've got something i haven't had in the last 10 years and that's a little free time um and it, it's just, or at least free time enough that I can do things at night and not feel completely dead the next morning. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. We're, uh, we're confident moving in. Carl's actually just had a baby girl uh, a couple months ago um, right. or his girlfriend did rather. Uh, not him. <laughs> so uh, yeah, little, little Verity Sanchez is out in the world. She is adorable. Um, I think we're going to post pictures sometime on the mothership website, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, Mike, uh, man, I really appreciate you being on the show tonight, buddy. Sure. I was, it's great to be on here. Great to talk with you and catch up and, and just talk about all this stuff. Yeah. I love, I love games. I know you love games. Uh, we, we share this, we share this incredibly amazing hobby with some of the best people in the world. Right. Like just, I don't know too many people, um, who are more welcoming, um, than gamers. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that uh, it, it actually is one of the things I posted a while back on um, just my personal Facebook was that if the only thing I ever took away from uh, doing game design and, and trying to do all this was the people that I've got to meet uh, through all of this, then that's enough. I mean, it's I've made some of my best friends now um, just from chance interactions because I happen to be trying to, you know, show a game off to somebody or play somebody else's game. And it's, um, it's just made a world of difference for, uh, you know, friends and, and the people that I've been able to meet. 
Oh, that's incredible, man! It's a, it's a great story. I really I wish you the best with 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 Ten Thousand Goblins and and Guild Leader and uh, what would you what'd you say the name of the the server one was again? Uptime right Uptime. now is the name of the server okay. one. So it's still it's still relatively early in that process, oh, it's super but man, early. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that that pans out for you as well, buddy. I wish you nothing but the best. Um, tell you what, before we go, can you give us your top three favorite games right now, either tabletop or video or any otherwise that you are not directly responsible for? Oh, that I'm. Uh, well, okay. Oh, so. Man, I don't want to make it all video games, but those are the first things that come to mind. Um, there's so, no cleanup, right? So I mean, it's so easy to power one on. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, so video games, Uncharted Four, Final Fantasy Seven, and then right behind that is probably, you know, I just played Spider Man through on PS4, and it's just fresh on my mind. Um, so it feels like it, it belongs up there. Um, board game wise, it would probably be. Um, I have this, um, oh man, and now I'm not going to be able to think of the name of it. Um, I have this game that I almost never get to get to the table that I absolutely love because I always grew up playing Risk games and and eventually played Axis and Allies uh, and stuff like that. Um, But it's, um, oh, what is it? Ah, Something of Nerath. I don't get it to the table enough that I can't even think of the name. Conquest of Nerath. Conquest of Nerath. Thank you. I was like, Champions isn't right. That was was a PS2 game. Um, but yeah, Conquest of Nerath, absolutely top of my list. I love that game. I don't get to hardly ever play it. Um, Clank in Space has recently gotten in that top three. Um, absolutely for sure. Is that, um, is that as, I've never played it. Is it as good as Clank? Cause Clank is better. amazing. It's, it's better. better oh, it's really? better than Clank. And I loved Clank. Um, so for them to have improved on that formula was just, um, it was it was fascinating. It's a really great game. Um, so that one, uh, and then probably, uh, honestly, probably Dominion is is third on that list. But uh, you know, still definitely in the top three. Wow. Yeah. I think if I had to um, toss out three of my own, I would say uh, role player. Um, as far as board game goes, that game Still is. I haven't gotten to play that yet. It is so good. It is my favorite game from. Uh, 2017. I still play it as many chances as I get to. Uh, and in when you've got you know 400 plus games sitting on shelves in your house, and you get a game out more than uh, more than once a month, that's mm-hmm. that's a <laughs> dang good game. You know, um, even even once a month for a board game now is pretty great. I think um, when you when your collection really starts to get unmanageable. <laughs> um, I've been playing a lot of Dice Throne lately, which is really good too. Oh yeah, we got to play that at a board game bash, and I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I think uh, we just actually we played that tonight with a friend for the first time, and um, I um, was it was very brutal, but I won. Um, it did not take it easy. Uh, and then my wife and I are just now starting to go through Gloomhaven. We're about four scenarios in oh, and uh, really, really loving that game. Um, it sat on my shelf for about eight months. And then um, it was actually one of the first board games I played post uh, post losing the job. And um, I, I don't know. I may It may have um, helped me out emotionally because it – 
it kind of sparked my my love for the uh uh for gaming again i wasn't doing anything for those first couple weeks except for sitting in a dark room crying oh yeah i'm gonna end on a really sad note now that's (laughs) i want to correct myself though because i realized dominion has gotten pushed out of my top three for the fallout board game oh Uh, I, i like that one a lot too that one sat on we we got that christmas it was my christmas present from my wife and we had a um christmas like board game weekend and so uh we got it out that weekend and we played it like three or four times which that's not a short game we played it three or four times over the course of that weekend and then it lived on a table in our game room for the next i don't know three months and not like it lived there and nobody played it no every night my wife and I would go back and finish up or continue a game. At least like we might only get to play a half hour or an hour and a half, whatever we'd play some on a game. And then if we finished it, we just put another scenario up and, you know, oh, that's do awesome. that. I mean, that, that one just, you know, talking about a game that gets a lot of play, that one has gotten more play probably than any game in this house at this point. I, I've only got, I think two sessions, uh, one half finished and then one finished, uh, but man, that's one I really want to go back to. I actually went and painted all my minis. Um, they're not great, um, but uh, I did it, and it's the first game I've ever done that for. Um, just because I love that, I love that universe so much, and I've got so many hours in Fallout Three and Four, and New Vegas, and um, even Fallout One and Two. Back in the day, I played those, mm-hmm. and just I love those old isometric RPGs. They were and so, countless hours on some of those. Yeah, same here for sure. All right, man. Um, one thing that I always do on the show is ask my guests to give parting words to our audience. Is there anything out there you want to tell the people? Maybe some some sage advice from Michael Abrahamson. You know, if anything, it would be don't don't give up just because you've failed at something or you see something as a failure. You know, learn from that. Figure out what you know. Why did it fail? Or you know, even go back and ask, did it really? Because that's the thing that I'm learning. Um, you know, I, I want to say every day, uh, but, but certainly in the game design stuff is that sometimes just because something, you know, you get upset because it didn't go the way you wanted it to, or it looks like maybe this mechanic doesn't work the way um, you think it should. There's so much there sometimes that you can learn from that. So, you know, not fixating on the fact that it failed, but fixating on what can I do to either improve it or to learn from that failure. I think that's the most important thing I've, I've learned in game design so far. That's awesome, man. Uh, Mike, thanks again for taking a part. If, uh, if somebody wants to find you on Twitter, um, you've got a handle, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's at MM Abrahamson. So not terribly hard to, uh, to find me there. I'm pulling up my Twitter to make sure. Uh, cause I never think about, it's like your own phone number. You don't think about it until somebody, yeah, uh, <laughs> somebody asks you um but yeah uh, at mm abrahamson a b r a h a m s o n uh on twitter and i do post a lot of the the progress on prototypes and that sort of thing there as well awesome so you guys make sure you reach out follow him on that um i don't i don't know uh mike and all honestly if the if the hordes of let's level up podcast fans are gonna reach (laughs) out to you right away uh but man i really appreciate you being part of our big comeback show and uh man it's it's been great i appreciate it and a lot of fun so thank you thanks i had a blast 
All right, everybody, that's it for the show. Uh, appreciate you listening. Uh, please follow us on all the social media platforms, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, just look up letslevelup.net. Our information is available on the site uh, pretty much everywhere. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to be aware of everything. Rate and review the show on anywhere. And again, if it's not on your favorite podcasting platform, let me know, and I will do my best to get it there. Until next time, thank you so much, and game on. Thank you.